0: Snap production.
1: Will the war in Ukraine spill over into space?
2: I find it hard to see how we're going to step back and work and cooperate with Russia in the future. We are just at polar opposites.
3: Russia has threatened that US-led sanctions could cause the International Space Station which is the size of a football field, to come crashing back to Earth.
1: And last week, the European Space Agency suspended its Russian-European September mission to Mars. So how is the Russia-Ukraine conflict playing out in space?
3: That's coming up in just a moment. But first, today's headlines. Tom Tilley and Katrina Blowers with you for this episode of The Briefing. It is Tuesday, the 22nd of March.
1: Russian forces have intensified the bombing on the southern port city of Mariupol in Ukraine.
2: There is no Mariupol anymore. They bombed everything. It's uh, all this uh, drama theatre uh, and the maternity hospital and art school. It's, uh, all of this is very catchy for the news, for the media. But uh, in reality, they bombed everything. We don't have Mariupol anymore.
3: That's Ukrainian MP Dmitry Gurin on Sky. Ukrainian officials say it's now impossible to know what the death toll is. Russian forces are reportedly attacking civilians trying to leave.
1: So this escalation comes after Ukraine rejected Russia's 5am deadline for Mariupol to lay down your arms. Russia saying all those who surrendered would be guaranteed safe passage out of Mariupol. Doesn't appear that that is the case now.
3: In the capital Kiev, another 35-hour curfew has been enforced as Russia steps up its attack there too. Eight people have been killed after Russians shelled a shopping centre.
1: The Ukrainian foreign minister is calling on China to help resolve the current crisis. So the US President Joe Biden spoke with Chinese leader Xi Jinping in a two-hour video call on Friday.
3: And China's ambassador to the US said that China was not sending weapons to Russia for use in Ukraine, but didn't rule out the possibility Beijing could do so in the future.
1: The US government has formally declared that Myanmar's military junta committed genocide.
2: The United States has concluded the genocide was committed seven times. Today marks the 8th, as I've determined that members of the Burmese military committed genocide and crimes against humanity against Rohingya.
3: That's the US Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, there. Mass killings and rape were committed in 2017 against the Muslim minority Rohingya population. The violence forced nearly a million people to flee and the United Nations recommended that top military officials face genocide charges.
1: So this declaration is going to trigger more economic sanctions. It'll also place some limits on aid and will enforce other penalties against Myanmar's military junta. Canada, France and Turkey had already declared those atrocities a genocide.
3: Yeah, and there's still the Australian economist, Sean Turnell, who's detained there. Um, he was an advisor to the former leader, Anson San Suu Kyi, who is also in detention.
1: A searing eulogy at the funeral for Labor Senator Kimberly Kitching. Her husband, Andrew Landiou, slamming some of her Labor colleagues for bullying.
0: And of course, there's a lot I could say about the unpleasantness of a cantankerous cabal. Not all of them in Parliament and the intensity of it did baffle and hurt her. But I hope it's sufficient to say she deserves so very much better.
3: So Senators Penny Wong, Christina Keneally and Katie Gallagher were also there. They were labelled the mean girls by Kitching and accused of bullying by the late Senator.
1: So those three have released a joint statement claiming those reports are untrue and inaccurate, although Wong did apologise for one insensitive statement about her not having kids. This story, I just don't know what to make of it, Tom. It feels... On the one hand, it's obviously so tragic and sad what has happened to Kimberly Kitching and she was way too young to pass away from a heart attack. But all these bullying allegations, it's quite toxic and it's quite baffling that this would go on and get as much sort of leverage as it has.
3: Yeah, watching it from outside the Canberra bubble, it's hard to know whether this is the the normal sort of cut and thrust that happens in the course of business in political parties in Canberra or if this was on another level but I think we're not used to seeing it in between someone's death and their funeral Mm. in this way so it makes a lot of people uncomfortable. Um, Anthony Albanese has been under a lot of pressure over it to call an inquiry. He's resisted doing so. Um, It'll be interesting to see if it goes anywhere from here.
1: A plane has crashed into a mountain in southern China, likely killing all 132 people on board.
3: The China Eastern Airlines Boeing 737-800 had been flying from Kunming in the southwest of Guangzhou in the southeast of China. A One hour into a two-hour flight, the plane lost contact with ground crews and plunged to earth in Guangxi province and caught fire.
1: Witnesses say the plane has completely disintegrated. China's president has ordered an immediate investigation. China Eastern Airlines has now grounded all of its 737-800s.
3: Yeah, and this airline has a good safety record. The last major accident took place 12 years ago. So we'll wait and see what really happened here in the case of this flight and whether there are any survivors. Um, So far, we don't know if any Australians were on board.
1: The Australian Defence Force's new Space Division will begin operations today. Defence Minister Peter Dutton is also flagging a possible US-style space force in the future.
3: Wow. Uh, He's going to give a speech today, Peter Dutton. It's called the Air and Space Power Conference, where he's speaking today. He's expected to warn <laughs> Sounds that Sounds we...
1: like a joke. I'm sorry. I just keep like... of space balls. <laughs> yes. Or that Space Force show that Steve Carell is in. <laughs> yeah.
3: Peter Dutton's expected to warn Australia that we need a military presence in space because of a growing threat of hypersonic missiles. Those missiles need to initially be launched into space, travelling at speeds of 6,000 k's an hour... And there's been reports that Russia's used one in Ukraine.
1: Yeah, so there is a very serious side to this. Dutton also expected to warn of more space-based satellite communications being used in future warfare.
3: Yeah, and we'll keep talking about space as we find out how the Ukraine-Russia conflict could impact coordination on the International Space Station. That's with Annika and Jan right after this message.
4: Hey, it's Annika here. Now, Russia's invasion of the Ukraine is not just redrawing political lines here on Earth, but also in space. The International Space Station has long been a collaborative space between Russia and the West, where for decades, everybody just got along. But the latest conflict could put that hard-earned cooperation at risk.
0: Yeah, Dr Mark Hilborn is a lecturer of defence studies at King's College in London. He specialises in strategic stability and arms control with an emphasis on outer space. He joins us now. Dr Mark Hilborn, thank you so much for joining us on The Briefing. Just before we get into this, can you just tell us how the International Space Station works? Who's in control up there?
2: It started life as a NASA project. I think as costs started to expand slightly than other space agencies were invited to come in and provide their expertise and join in a kind of joint program. Russia and Roscosmos was invited after the end of the Cold War and the collapse of the Soviet Union to bring their expertise as well. It is um run as a, a multilateral process. There's a kind of board that oversees this, but the US is effectively the chair of that board, but they operate by consensus in terms of what they need to do and how they cooperate and where their goals are, etc.
0: Who is up there at the moment?
2: At the moment, there's seven astronauts. There's two Russian astronauts. There's four American astronauts and one German astronaut. And they they operate on rotating shifts effectively. So we get uh, one group sent up and another group sent down, while another group is overlapping those different missions.
4: And part of the station is Russian built and the other part is run by the US and Europe and Mm -hmm. Japan and Canada. How Mm -hmm. heavily do both sides rely on each other? Could they technically split and not work together or is collaboration really essential?
2: It's a complex technical beast, the space station. I can't imagine how that would actually function without cooperation. I don't think they could withdraw into their sort of separate um, modules and keep it running. So, and they're all professionals. And I think the individuals would be overcoming any kind of tension here on earth. And I understand that there's no particular tension currently. So I think it would be hard not to work with each other. And as far as I understand, at least up there at the moment, they seem to have cordial relations.
4: The head of the Russian Space Agency has been making some claims online. Uh, Some of them include that, you know, some of these sanctions imposed on Russia could prevent them from servicing the space station or perhaps that could increase the likelihood that it might crash. Is there a genuine risk or is this sort of, I guess, big talk from a Russian, essentially a government agency?
2: It's not impossible. But it seems to me the most alarming aspect is the rhetoric that you mentioned. You know, this is the head of a space agency and you can't imagine those kind of comments coming from a Western space agency. So that's the most remarkable thing, although I suppose it seems to fit with the kind of outrageous statements we're seeing coming out of Russian leadership currently. But actually, you know, crashing the space station or allowing it to deorbit seems to be very unlikely, certainly in the very near term, because we've got two Russian cosmonauts on board. It would seem very unlikely that the Russians would do anything to harm them. But even if there were no cosmonauts on board, this is a flagship for the Russian Space Agency. It's a high point of their space achievements as it is really for the U.S. and and other Western programs. So the threat that they've made in particular is that their progress space capsules that go up there, they supply the ship and they bring up astronauts. They also provide, while docked, small amounts of thrust, which keeps the orbit true. You know, these can drift very, very slightly in in, in minuscule ways. And Russia was up until recently the only nation with the capability to get those crew members or supplies up there. That's where that threat might have emanated from. But now, of course, SpaceX have recently started operations with their Dragon space capsule. They can bring astronauts up. They can bring supplies up. And in the event of a Russian withdrawal of, of that capability, Elon Musk has indicated that they would step in and provide you know, that alternative and give that thrust to make sure that the, the orbit doesn't change in any way.
0: There's also been a joint mission to Mars that was supposed to kick off in September that's now been suspended. What does the conflict in Ukraine mean for the future of Mars exploration?
2: I think this is going to have a number of implications on trust. So we've seen Russia reacting by withdrawing some of their cooperation on scientific experiments, with Germany on the space station currently focusing more on, on military development. These kind of programs are a manifestation of trust and political will and cooperation and where there's a deficit, then it becomes hard to see how they'll progress. It has been an area and it's been rather symbolic say during the Cold War where we had the American and, and Russian astronauts meeting in space at what was a rather low point in the Cold War. So these things can be overcome, but it seems at the moment that lack of trust that we see between the large space-faring nations will certainly have an impact on those kind of programs.
0: And what sort of an impact would it have on our understanding of the universe and just scientific advancement? Because there's so much that we learn from going to Mars that might not necessarily be about Mars that we could use in other fields. So coming back here on Earth, what sort of other kind of offshoot negative consequences might we face as a scientific community here?
2: You know, we can still do these things without Russia. They have a great deal of space expertise they would be a valuable member, but doesn't mean that we can no longer do these things. So if Russia pulls out or some of these cooperative ventures um, stop, that doesn't mean we can't go it alone or, you know, the Western, we have the Artemis Accords, which is the number of states signed up to for lunar exploration. We will probably see, you know, a number of other programs. So our reliance on Russia is probably not that significant for a, a number of these programs where we might see one or two programs fail. I'm sure there'll be others that can replace those.
4: I was wondering about the human dynamic up there. How much information do they get? Can they watch tally? Do they hang out together? What do we know about the astronauts we have up there with the language barriers and everything else that goes on? Is it collegial?
2: Well, usually it is. And I don't think the language barrier is usually a, a problem. For instance, most pilots have to be able to speak English in order to fly into a number of international airports. As far as I'm aware, that's a requirement in space. So I think they can talk to each other. I think it's quite cordial. I mean, you can imagine psychologically it's a difficult environment sometimes and anybody would probably have a certain number of problems. But I don't think the international aspect is a barrier usually. Now, what kind of information they're getting? I actually don't know and it would be interesting to find out, but I would imagine that, for instance, in the case of the Russian cosmonauts, they are seeing let's call it a wide spectrum of news, um, and might not be so limited in their exposure to what's happening down on earth right now, as maybe a number of other Russian citizens. So they might be looking at this in in a very different perspective than, you know, a number of other Russians, let's say.
4: I'd also read that physically, they'd be able to see images of the Ukraine and above the war zone, and that that would be Identifiable from space. Is that the case that they could see some of the damage that's going on there?
2: Not with your eye. I mean, you can't really make out that much detail, particularly. So you wouldn't be able to see damage from space. You know, I've seen astronauts tweeting that you can't see borders in space, and and the whole idea of conflict Mm -hmm. on Earth seems crazy from the aspect of space. So being able to see that kind of damage would be very unlikely, perhaps if there was a huge plume of smoke or something that might be identifiable. But that kind of level of detail would not be something they could see very easily at all.
0: Space seems to be one of the areas where the United States and Russia tend to cooperate quite well, certainly at least from the end of the Cold War onwards. Could that all come to a screeching halt because of this conflict?
2: Well, I think it could, yes. I mean, unfortunately it could. I mean, this is going to have huge ramifications. We've seen the reaction of Russia to the sanctions we don't know how long this horrible conflict will carry on for, and we don't know what the, the long-term effects will be, but one can see that Russia will not be cooperating in the future potentially. But you're quite right that we've seen in the past and during the Cold War this this level of cooperation in space, and it seems to have surmounted all the kind of problems that we see on Earth. So it's certainly possible. I don't like to think that it's going to happen, but I don't see that it's impossible at all. And how we Carry on, I suppose. Over the next short while, will, will give us some better indication as to how we might weather this in the space domain. But I'm not entirely optimistic, to put it that way.
0: Oh, why do you say that?
2: Generally, looking at the the situation, I find it hard to see how we're going to step back and work and cooperate with Russia in the future, or vice versa. I mean, you know, we are just at polar opposites in terms of worldviews at the moment. So it will take a lot to, I think, restore that level of trust and cooperation. Despite the kind of sanctions that we've seen on on the US and that they're aimed at degrading the aerospace industry, for instance, NASA certainly issued a statement to say that the sanctions would not affect its relationship with the Russian space agency. So there's still some hope.
3: So that was Dr. Mark Hilborn, a lecturer in defence studies at King's College in London. Uh, He specialises in strategic stability and arms control um, with an emphasis on nuclear weapons in outer space. He was speaking to Jan Fran and Annika Smethurst That is it for today. Tomorrow on the briefing, uh, we're talking about a push to legalise psilocybin, that's magic mushrooms, as a medical treatment. Listener.